Well, welcome uh, everybody and those maybe watching online to our study tonight. Uh, so thankful to be uh, looking into God's Word, into the book of Daniel. I uh, love the book. It's why I chose, I guess, that God led me to, to bring this book in the first place because it's so amazing, so got so many good truths in it. And especially chapter 9, as, we're, as we get to tonight, probably one of the most amazing chapters in all of Scripture. It's got so much truth, wisdom, and kind of an intriguing narrative in the chapter itself uh, with uh, the prayer and the prophecy of Daniel. So even though I've studied this thing many times before, uh, this, this has been my best time in, in the Scripture studying Daniel ever. So I'm thankful for it and thankful that I've got the opportunity to bring it to you all. But let's open in prayer before we start. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we are so grateful to be able to come to you again tonight. Thank you so much for your precious word that you have uh, inspired and preserved for us, that we can know these things uh, about you. You've revealed yourself to us in Scripture and in, in this chapter tonight as we look at it. You are amazing, Lord, and we uh, just want to hear what you have to say. Please uh, show us the things you want to out of the chapter tonight. And let it be about you. That's You are the king of all, and you uh, are who is revealed in this word. So help me and help us as we go through it tonight. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. All right, so chapter 9. I, and again, I love prophecy. Probably some of you know that by now. Um, got started on that at the very beginning when I got saved and have been studying uh, prophetic aspects of Scripture ever since. Uh, not only that, I mean, all of God's truth is just uh, amazing and wonderful. Uh, salvation in Him uh, revealed in so many places um, is awesome. So His Word is awesome and true. Chapter 9, um, if you love prophecy like I do, then you're kind of like chomping at the bit to get to the last four verses of this chapter. It's like, oh, that, that's so amazing what God has prophesied in there, and it is. But as I've studied it, the prayer that Daniel brings is also um, very intense, and it's also really necessary, I think, for us uh, in our relationship to God and in our um, posture towards Him, and, and even as it relates to understanding prophecy, that I think God has put it together that way in, in His Word and in this chapter 9, that we would have to work our way through that the, the prayer of confession, uh, contrition, repentance that Daniel brings, before we get to that, it will, it will help us to get our heart in the right place so that we're not, and I've tried to bring that before, that uh, looking at prophecy is not just for us to get some really interesting and cool facts about the future. Uh, it is amazing, and it is true, and it's glorious, the things that we have look, to look forward to in Christ, but we have a tendency, I would have a tendency to make it all about the numbers and the, how it all works out and this plan, and which is, I'll, again, I'll say it's awesome, but we are here. We're now. We're in this place, and God has a purpose for us in knowing and understanding this prophecy so that it will prepare us. And I think, you know, I've uh, I'm moved every week as I'm getting ready to bring this, and then I listen to Mark in the morning and how it seems to just uh, follow on 
from what he had to say this morning of things that relate to, to this message and about preparing our hearts to meet God. We'll get to that at the end, and it tells us the time frame, and it tells us the, the prophetic future that, that's coming, that God is bringing because He is God. But um, as we'll look here, that's, there's kind of my simple little outline, but if, as you look at that, I've kind of broken it down. So our first couple of verses is just an introduction. It tells us about Daniel as a Bible student. And I think that's really uh, awesome, too, to look at how Daniel himself was a, a student of Scripture and uh, um, interpreted it and took it as totally true and literal, what he read in Jeremiah's prophecy. But then we look, if you look at the next three sections, they're all about Daniel's prayer from verse 3 clear down through verse 19. So there's quite a large section there that is just Daniel's prayer, uh, different aspects of that as he approaches God about this future event. And it's to look at it rightly, I think, is to look at it as God inspiring this prayer in Daniel to ask uh, about the future and to declare or to... um, uh, believe what God said about this captivity time and looking forward to their release and to uh, God's truth about having them uh, spend 70 years in captivity. But God expands that like he always does. He always gives more back than what's asked for. And so as a result of Daniel's prayer, we get this amazing time frame clear out to the end of the age that we'll see as we get to the end. But we work our way through uh, in this really wonderful and intense prayer. And I think as we think about it, it would be good for us to, as we go along, think about how that applies to us, how it applies to me as we look at what Daniel has to say before God uh, as he uh, affirms his belief in what God has to say about this Babylonian captivity. So we'll we'll get started with that. And as we look at it, uh, our chapter tonight is chapter 9. It's Daniel's third vision. Uh, It's written in the first year of Darius, so we we place it right about 539 B.C. So that's that's our time frame that we're looking at there. Uh, Again, this chart is uh, not perfect in all of its calibration there of different things, but it does place these visions in the right place. in the right section as we look at the top of the kings that were involved. So we're looking at chapter 9 tonight, Daniel's third vision, kind of at the very beginning of uh, Darius and his uh, rulership over that media Persia empire. And that's the time frame of it, about 539 B.C. I'm just going to throw that up there again because this is where he was. This, even though uh, Daniel loved uh, Israel, he loved God, he loved the people of God, the Jews, this is where God's destiny was for him to spend most of his life was in Babylon. And that's, that's where he is. That's um, where these visions come from. So I'm going to leave that up there for a minute just to, sh- to be where Daniel is, and then we'll look at our text. So Daniel 9 verse 1 says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Hazuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet 
for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So we just get a little bit of introduction there about again about who Darius was. Darius was appointed, and it says who was made king, so it kind of follows the history of that, the uh, fact that Darius early on was appointed as ruler over this Babylonian captive uh, area that has now been ruled by Media Persia. He didn't maintain that forever. He was there for a time. Uh, we know that Cyrus came in as a more powerful ruler from Persia later on, but at the beginning it was Darius of Median descent who was made king. So we know from Scripture that that's how that started. In the first year of his reign, as, as Daniel uh, observed in the books of the number of the years, revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah. So even though Daniel was probably about 83 years old by now, so he's an old man. He spent all his life, most of his life, in Babylon. He had not allowed Babylon to get into him. He had lived his life for God. He had served the God of Israel for his whole um, let's see, 17, I don't know, 60-some years that he'd been there so far in Babylon serving God in the position that God had put him in. And so there he was. Uh, he could have had uh, a different attitude, but he was a servant of God. He kept his life pure before God. We don't hear see a single instance where Daniel is uh, uh, revealed in Scripture as committing sin. I mean, he did. He's, he was a human being. He sinned. But in terms of what God revealed to us about Daniel, he was one of the most godly men in the history of Scripture. Spent most of his life in Babylon serving a pagan government. But he had not allowed that to encroach on him. He was still a true student of Scripture. Somehow, in God's providence, he was allowed to have a copy of Jeremiah's writing in there. And I, from what I've uh, determined by it, and I, and I could be wrong, but I think it was only maybe 25 years after Jeremiah wrote this, and it was recorded that Daniel had this in his hand to read. So even in that short span of time, Daniel already knew through the Spirit that this was Scripture. This was the word of the Lord from a prophet of God. So he was counted Jeremiah's writing already before it had officially been brought into a canon of Scripture that he knew that was God's Word. He could have had a different attitude. Here he was, 83. He knew he wasn't going to make it back to Jerusalem. He, I'm sure he knew in his heart and mind that, you know, he's, I'm going to be spending the rest of my life here, but he had a godly heart about it. He didn't, uh, he didn't have the thought like, well, what difference does that make to me now? The, uh, I'm, I'm never going to get back there. Why should I worry about it? But he had this heart for God and for God's people that he was studying and hoping and praying for their return to Jerusalem. It was in his heart. The, uh, in chapter 9 here, as we look down through the text, and if you look in verse 2, uh, Mark, you've showed us that before too, all, in all caps there is God's covenant name, Yahweh, and that's the first time that that's used in Daniel's writing. And in fact, in chapter 9, it's the only time that Daniel uses that covenant name for God in, in his writing. And he uses it, I think, in verses 2, 4, 10, 13, 14, and 20. As we look down through the text, you'll, maybe you'll see it there that 
that Daniel incorporates this idea of God keeping his covenant with his people, and it fits right into the, the tenor of his prayer, that he is expecting God to come through on the promises he's made, and especially to this one uh, through Jeremiah that he was going to bring him out of that captivity in 70 years. Jeremiah 29.10, and, and that's what I was reading before, is that there's a couple places, and this one seemed clear enough to me. It says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place, talking about Jerusalem. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And I th one of the things that jumped out to me there is that this is the primary interpretation of this verse. I mean, it's used a lot to just apply to us in general that this is God's promise to us. But originally, the intention was right here, talking about God's people, Israel. His plan for them was to bring them out of Babylonian captivity after 70 years. His plan was to give them a future and a hope back in their land. So that's really what the interpretation of that verse is. Sometimes we want to apply that. And I think that's maybe not necessarily a stretch, maybe because we, we can see it in other scripture that God has promised us a future and a hope. So it's an application of that verse. But this mainly in the, in the first context here is talking about Israel bringing them out of the land or out of the Babylonian captivity. And so it's on the basis of this promise that Daniel praised this prayer that we're going to look at. So we go to verse 3 as he starts this prayer of his. Daniel says, so, and I think just the connecting word so there tells us that's why he's going to pray this prayer because he read Jeremiah. Jeremiah had said, the word of the Lord said to Jeremiah, I'm bringing you out after 70 years. And so Daniel was just about at the end of that 70-year time period. If you look back make the connection, do the calculation of where they were in calendar years and time, that 70 years was just about up. And so Daniel, because of that, he says, So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. We already know from, from the future, former chapters in Daniel that Daniel was a guy of prayer. He was a consistent prayer warrior before God. He risked his life in chapter 6 to be on his knees in prayer three times a day with his windows open toward Jerusalem. So we know that Daniel prayed. He, it was a major part of his life that he had risked his life to continue this practice of prayer. So uh, in, I guess in Daniel 6.10, I went back to look at it there. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. So using that, uh, again, a good hermeneutic, the word so would be the reason God is, or that Daniel is praying this intense prayer is because of God's word. He was serious uh, when he talked about fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. It shows that this was a little bit more than just his normal prayer time. This was something that got way into Daniel's heart, and he was really concerned about it. He, he, um, 
gave things up for it. He took time. He dressed differently for a little bit. Uh, in terms of us these days, um, I've never done that kind of praying where I would change my clothes, ashes, and fasting. And it's kind of convicting. And as I was studying that, I'm not sure, I don't think that's really a, a requirement to have sincere prayer before God, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. Uh, I'm, just as I was studying through this, I feel like I need to seek God about a cause that would inspire in me that kind of praying, something that I was that concerned about that I would push other things away, sacrifice some of my wants and, you know, needs, not necessarily needs, but that I would that would be serious enough to do some things different to spend extra time going before God in prayer. And obviously, Daniel believed that prayer um, was necessary in his relationship to God and his and in God's uh, Oh, thank you, Mark. Yeah, I forgot that. Thank you. Uh, necessary in God's plan for things that Daniel believed that God answered prayer and that when a right heart is brought before God in prayer, God has woven answers to that into his sovereignty and into how he works things out in the world. We talked about it before, but to think, well, God's sovereign. He's powerful. He's got his whole plan figured out. He's got it mapped out from start to finish. Why do I need to pray about it? Why, you know, this this should happen even if Daniel doesn't go and pray, right? Doesn't he believe that, that God will sovereignly work it out? But it, from his side of it, that's that's not the concern. And I do believe that God is a big enough and a wise enough and a powerful enough God that he sees everything in advance. He is so far above us that he has worked our prayers, our heartfelt and, and sincere and righteous prayers into his plan and that things happen as we pray that were still his sovereign will to happen, that our prayers matter to God and they do uh, affect what happens in the world as they're righteously brought before God. They make a difference. They matter. The, I was just reading in my dailies in the Revelation in chapter 5 where it says uh, the elders and the four living creatures had our prayers as incense in their hands. That God, in some spiritual way, is collecting and listening to the prayers that we bring to him. They're, they do matter. And that it's, it helps us to, not to think that that's a waste of time for us to spend time in prayer. It's like, oh, okay, i got to get my prayers done. It's not that. It's it's a, a time to get with God. And I'm not saying it because I'm this amazing prayer warrior. I'm just saying it speaks to me like that too. I could definitely gain by spending some more and some better time that way. So in verse 4 it says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. And Daniel started, and I think that we should do the same uh, in this adoration phase of God. He calls out again to Yahweh, rightly acknowledging him as the covenant keeper, um, saying back to God what is true about him, what we've learned about him through his word. And it talks about a reciprocating uh, relationship there of love from God uh, to us 
and for those who love him back and keep his commandments. So we know, we've been well taught enough here in Scripture that our God's love for us isn't dependent on our works, that his, his love is everlasting and great, and it comes from him because that's who he is. But those of us who have known him, who have gotten alive through his spirit in us and a new spirit that loves God, we reciprocate. And so he loves us. It makes us love him. He loved us first, but because he did, he creates in us love back. A fruit of the spirit, the first fruit of the spirit is love. That's He plants that in us because we're born again, because we know him, because he's in us. So that's the reciprocal thing that he talks about right there. But it continues uh, in this this uh, total confession that he, uh, Daniel also includes himself in. Verse 5 says, we have sinned. So he includes himself there. He, he doesn't say, yeah, the, my people, these Jews have sinned. They're so bad. But he says, hardly. And we, he says, we have sinned committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. So he goes into detail. He doesn't just kind of cover it and go, yep, we sinned. I mean, he breaks it down. He uh, takes his time naming out the things that... uh, he includes himself in doing it. Um, you know, I doubt that Daniel, as he lived his life, you know, was, was all these things perpetually, that he was the worst at committing iniquity, he was the wickedest, most rebellious. He wasn't. But he, in a humble heart, brought these people before God, including himself, saying, Lord, please, please uh, turn back to us. They weren't, uh, not only did they sin and, and commit all these acts, but they did it knowingly because he says, the prophets kept talking to them saying, hey, you guys, you're sinning. You're walking outside of God's will here. You're, you're going down the wrong road. Turn back, repent. Turn back to this God who, is, who loves you and who has done all these things for you. And so they did it right back in the face of all the prophets and their their words from the Lord to them about turning back. So it was doubly bad, their sin and the rebellion, the rejection. Obviously, it got them into captivity in Babylon. He So Daniel just acknowledges the truth of the fact that because of their sin and rebellion over and over and over, God said enough, kicked them out of the land, destroyed the temple, so all their sin had come to root back home to roost. You know, right into open rebellion against God's commands and his expectations. So it was not just these little sins that they weren't kind of aware of. They were back in your face, God. I, I don't want to do what you tell me to. So they were worthy of all the discipline that they got. Verse 7 says, Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame as it is this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away, and all the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. So right at that very moment, Jerusalem, as Daniel looked back over there, was in ruins. 
The, the city was in ruins. The temple was in ruins. The, it was obvious that God had brought this judgment to him just as he had promised. And when it says, those nearby and those far away, uh, almost 200 years before, God had judged Israel already one time uh, to send them in captivity to Assyria. So <laughs> this is over and over that God is trying to get their attention. He's sent them into captivity before. They came back. They got right back into the sinful track again so bad that God had to send them out into uh, exile again. Uh, as in Second Kings 15.29, this just talks about uh, this, ca- this Assyrian captivity. It says, In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured Aijon and Abel-Beth-Maacah, and Genoa, and Kadesh, and Hazor, and Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali. And he carried them captive to Assyria. So it's clear, and I'm not saying this from a judgmental position because I've, I've lived some of this myself, that, that the Jews are stubborn and they're slow to learn the lessons that God is sending their way. I mean, it, look at it today. We're still... 2,000 years later, they still have not acknowledged Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They are stubborn. And God loves Israel. I care about Israel. I love the Jews as God's people. Not all the things that they do, obviously. They're, They're sinful and wicked in their own ways. But God has a plan for Israel. He loves them. He's going to bring them back. Uh... I love them that way too, and I know and I care about what God is going to do with them. So that Daniel acknowledges that. Uh, so how about me? How about us? Are we sometimes stubborn in our um, unwillingness to um, fulfill all that God wants to do in us? Stubborn to, for me, pray enough. Um, and again, these, these aren't works to, to earn favor, but they, they are gratitude in my heart toward a God who has done so much for me. And so I, I need to, as I, whenever I look at these things and I have to say, look how stubborn and contrary these people have been, I just need to make sure that I look at myself too and make sure that I stay humble. I pray for that, that God will work that out in me as well. And it's the most blessed place to be. I fluctuate, but on those times when I know that God has worked in me and I've done what he's wanted, that, those are the most blessed and the most wonderful times in my life, and they are for everyone. Verse 8, open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, nor have we obeyed the voice of, our, of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So that it's just doubling down. I mean, some of it is kind of the same, same wording almost that just repeats like, did you get this the first time? Listen, uh, this is what we did. Shame belongs to us, Lord, because of what we did. It's not like we got a bad deal from, from God. We got what we deserved when he's talking about Israel's exile and why they're where they are. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness. 
That's who God is. But they earned what they had. So everyone is included. And we look at verse 8, it says, kings, princes, our fathers, because we have sinned. He's, he's including everyone here in the whole country. You might want to say, well, it's all the king's fault or it's all the, the prince's fault. You know, they're running everything. But it, it was everybody. The fathers were, were all of them. I think as we think about our own nation sometimes, I'm guilty of saying, well, yeah, our government is so bad. Well, it is. That's not a wrong statement. But to absolve everyone else and say, yep, it's just that darn government is just wrecking everything for us. No. Our country from top to bottom is outside of God's will. They've rejected. That is our problem, just like it was theirs. Our country would need to repent in total for the, for God to come and bless us. I really believe that God has already got our country under judgment of um, kind of an abandonment or a, a pulling back of his restraint on evil and judging us because of our rejection of him as a country. That's, I believe it's happening. I don't know where it will go for sure because it's not written down, but the trend doesn't look good. We as a country would need to repent just like Israel Verse 11 uh, talks about how they did get what they deserved. And 11b says, So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words, which he's spoken against us, and against our rulers who ruled us, to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. The punishment Israel received had been promised to them by God centuries before. The two scriptures that are um, very clear, and they're God's word to Israel at the very beginning, were in Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26. We're not going to take the time to read those, but if you go back and look at those two chapters, it will just about turn your stomach about what God said if they turned away from him, here were going to be the results. And it's not just a couple of verses. It is two long passages that almost defy public reading because there's so parts of that are so bad of the punishment and the discipline that God is going to bring because their rebellion and sin was so bad. It was it was what they had earned. God had promised this calamity, and for him not to bring it would bring his own character into question. It's like, you know, drawing all the red lines and, and never following through. We had a lot of red lines in the past, our government red line. And they just kept crossing and was like, what that that just makes you look weak and and unfaithful and compromising and even a liar. And so God is not like that. He's very patient. He's very long-suffering, and he drug, drug it out a long time. But when it finally came down to it, the line stayed. 
and Israel was devastated. The temple was destroyed. They were destroyed. They were taken to captivity. The punishment came, and that's all Daniel is doing here is affirming the fact that God was righteous in bringing this judgment on, and he did it. And he kept it in store. He brought it. He kept it. And he's righteous with respect to all his deeds. That's what Daniel says. What a guy. He's, he's truthful. The, 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 the devastation was loss of land, loss at war, sickness and plague, depopulation, exile, slavery, intense fear, starvation, under siege, and much, much more of the part that I wasn't going to read. Terrible things that God promised. And so they were out there and said, look, obey and, and be blessed by me or, or have these things. And they chose those things, and God brought them. Thankfully, it did not include a total rejection, as some uh, liberal churches do believe that, that they earned a total rejection from God, which they did not. Just to look at the, a couple of pieces out of those two passages, say, it shall come about that as the Lord delighted over you to prosper you and multiply you, so the Lord will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you, and you will be torn from the land where you are entering to possess it. Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, which you and your fathers haven't known. And they certainly were there in Babylon with all their gods being forced. Leviticus 26 says, Yet in spite of this, and this, this part I brought in because God did not totally reject them. It says, Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I so abhor them as to destroy them, breaking my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But I will remember them for the covenant with their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. In spite of God's promise, Daniel knows that there's no grounds for mercy from God on how they acted. They couldn't approach God and say, well, because we, were, we did humbly come back a little bit, please. They didn't. There was nothing that they did that would, that would um, justify God's mercy on them. They couldn't earn any mercy. Uh, but instead, Daniel is zealous for God's own character and that that would be lifted up. Verse 15, And now, O Lord of God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as it is this day, um, we have sinned, we have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around. And in those days, if, you're, if you were beaten by another uh, country, their gods were stronger than your gods. And I, I think you told us that a week or two ago or today, I don't know, one of these days, but that was, that's the idea. If, if, they're, if they beat you down and they can take you captive, well, their god must have been stronger than yours. But that was not true. But uh, that, was the, that was the heart that Daniel had because he didn't want uh, the nations around, the pagans, the Gentiles, to think that kind of thing. He had a heart for God's character for God's standing in the world. And we, 
God is capable of taking care of his own standing in the world. There's, there's no problem with that. He will do it. But that was Daniel's heart. That's why he was presenting these supplications and on account of God's great compassion, even though there was no deserving of forgiveness, there was no deserving of favor from God, but he was pleading with God on the basis of his own awesome character, his compassion. Listen to your servant, listen to the prayer of your servant, to his supplications, and for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, listen, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name, for we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your own great compassion. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and take action for your own sake. O oh my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. So I, Daniel's bringing in this idea of urgency because he does believe in this 70-year promise from God. So he, his prayer is in line with this promise that God has made. So he, he wants it to happen. He wants, it, he wants God to bring in what he has said for the purpose of his own character and because of what he said about Jerusalem, Israel. And, and by the way, those are God's possessions. They still are. There's a lot of phony baloney talk about that in the world today, about who it belongs to. But God and his word says it belongs to him. The, John Walford put it well in his commentary on Daniel in this, in this section here, noting three standards of God's power revealed in Scripture. And again, like I said, the follow-on of some of the things that I hear in the morning and then coming on to here. But, but John, I think, rightly talks about how these three um, power, revealings of God's power in the Bible are, first of all, the Exodus. And God showed His power to the world by taking Israel, putting them in Egypt, growing them to this huge peoples, and then bringing them out by his power. That was, a, that was a story, that was a truth, that was an event that the Gentile world knew about. They, they understood that this was a showing of the power of God, and he uses it. God brings that through prophets and through the apostles, all through the scriptures, going back and talking about the Exodus as how uh, uh, an example of God's power and how he worked. The second one was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is John Walford's uh, take on that, which I thought was great. And Ephesians 1, 19 to 22 talk about it. I don't have those here. I don't think I do, no. But they, if you go back and happen to take a look at those, that talks about um, how Christ and his resurrection was the power of God unto salvation. It was his power revealed to the world. And then lastly, Jeremiah 16, 14, and 15 talk about this third one that he would say is the regathering of Israel into the millennial kingdom will be this third show of God's power to the world that he can do that, he will do it. And that's going to be an amazing thing that we look forward to in the future that the world does not expect, but will be a show of God's power. And again, back to this idea that, that Israel is God's chosen place and that the world should not be messing with that. First Kings 11.36 says, But to his son 
I will give one tribe that my servant David may have a lamp always before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen for myself to put my name. Jerusalem is God's city, always was and always will be. Uh, Daniel pleads with God to hear him in order for him to restore his city, his sanctuary, and to restore his people, the Jews, whom he has chosen. So, as we get to the end of that prayer, we see the next piece there as Gabriel enters the scene. And we'll look at those three verses uh, quickly before we close tonight. So, and we look at at, uh, verse 20. Uh, Daniel has not, by the way, finished his prayer, but he is still in the middle of it. And verse 20 says, Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, so give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. So we come to a transition point then in the chapter where, you know, Daniel's finished this intense prayer of his. He he is pouring out his heart to God. God knew what he was going to say before he even started. But so at the very beginning of that, he sent Gabriel to talk to Daniel again. And I, I've, I've thought about this a little bit about how uh, Daniel was just a man like we are, but he was a man who was highly favored by God. And so his life was used by God in so many ways to, to reveal things to us. And he, he was active in Daniel's life. And so this is another event in Daniel's life where an angel again came to Daniel. I, I've never had one angel come to me and say anything to me, and, I, and, and never will. Daniel, time after time, gets these visions from the angels. And I, uh, after we, we think about the last time, and he came, you know, Daniel fell down. He was terrified and even went unconscious. And I'm almost wondering if, it, you know, Daniel saw Gabriel and went, oh, no, not another visit from Gabriel. <laughs> that's speculation. That's just my, my two cents to throw in there. But I'm sure he didn't feel like that. But still, these angels' presence and power are great. I mean, they... They don't evoke this warm, fuzzy feeling in humans to go, oh, hey, how's it going? But they are powerful. And so that's, here he came, Gabriel again comes to that. I think it's amazing that God gave us this infallible word through humans, through Daniel. He was just a man like we were, but God used him to reveal all these amazing things to us and uh, yet without error. Gabriel's not a human. It says uh, the man Gabriel. The, the word in Hebrew does not necessarily mean a human being, but uh, in the form of a man. And that's. And he also talks about he had done previously the vision of Daniel chapter 8, 12 years before. This is an angel that God sent, one of his beings that do the will of God. And he, when he looks back, he talks about uh, the extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. Well, it had been 50 years since 
an offering had been given in Jerusalem at the temple. It was destroyed. But Daniel, again, to reveal this heart and this character of Daniel, that he still thought in those terms. He still prayed in a sequence that would reflect his life uh, that he had learned in Jerusalem and in Israel. He was a Jew at heart, and he always was to the very end of his life, and he lived like that. He thought about his time of day in accordance with what was happening or what would have been happening in Jerusalem and about the offerings and about the, the timings of those. So even when, da- when Gabriel came to him and he was praying, that was the timing that he was talking about. And again, so we look at um, the fact that he gave heed to the message and we're thankful that we did. Not only did he give heed, he wrote it down. So thanks be to God that he inspired Daniel to record these events in detail so that we would know what's happening. So uh, we're going to end there tonight. That's I got maybe 48 minutes in here. So we're going to stop there. But we are next session going to look at these next four verses, which are so amazing. And I just want to say one word about that before we finish tonight, that these next four verses set out a time frame specifically uh, for Israel. Verse 24, and I'll just read verse 24 before we finish tonight. It says, Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So those are six amazing events, things that God is going to make happen before the end of this 70 weeks that we'll talk about. We'll break down in detail. But just just to know at the very beginning that this, this next section that we're talking about is talking about Israel. It's talking about the Jews, not about the church. The church is a mystery that was not revealed until after the resurrection of Jesus Christ to Paul. So we will next week look at those, but I just... My prayer is that I and and you all would um, allow this this prayer of Daniel to soak into your mind and heart and mine too, that it might change our our hearts and attitudes in prayer to God that we would not only would we take into account who He is, but that we would uh, use the principles and the character that he has to affect how we pray. That we wouldn't just frivolously come in, and I'm not saying anybody does, but just that that we not get to that point to where we spend time and we let God work in our heart to where our prayers are sincere. That, they, that we take time to just be quiet enough for a while to get in the presence of God and let him soak into us and let his word permeate through us just like it did in Daniel to take literally what God said to him and what he would say to us about what he wants from us. So that would be it for tonight. Uh, Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much again for your word. So amazing and so wonderful and just just a little surface scratching, Lord, of what how amazing of a God you are and how much you have told us in your word. So just please use at least the hearing of it tonight in our ears, Lord, to to change us and to make us more like Jesus, that uh, Jesus, you obeyed the Father in every way. 
that you spent a lot of time in prayer and you were so sincere about it. So help us, Lord, to be like you. Uh, keep keep uh, working at us. You're patient. We're so thankful and grateful for that, Lord, that you day by day continue to pull us a little closer to you, weed out the things that are in us that we need to get rid of so that we can be pure and holy like you want us to be. Help us with all those things. We praise you in the name of Jesus tonight. Amen. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name.